Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who have decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared humanity. humanity. Catalina Cruz represents District 39 in the New York State Assembly, which covers Jackson Heights, Corona, and Elmhurst, Queens. We've done several interviews since she was a candidate in 2018, catching up annually on what's going on in state politics and in her district. This time, we talked about how Queens has been dealing with the pandemic, the recent legislative session in Albany, and the impact on the state government of the allegations against Governor Cuomo, who, at the time of this interview, had not yet resigned. Thanks again for getting together with us. Thank you for having me, Betsy. You know, we talked a year ago, things were really rough. COVID was a serious problem. Tell me about, has things changed? Have they improved? I know there was a lot of food insecurity. I think over the last year, all of the things that were already afflicting our community formed almost a perfect storm that landed our community as the epicenter of the epicenter. Unfortunately, it is also a community that has been plagued by neglect from our own government. Our rents are extremely high. Our community has very few resources with which to turn when they have a healthcare need, when they have an immigration issue, when they're facing food insecurity. And so when mid-March came, we were in the height of the political races for re-election at the state legislature. The governor announces that the state is pretty much going to shut down. And I turned my political operation into a community outreach operation. Mm. We turned from talking to folks door to door to calling folks on the phone, asking them, how are you doing? Do you need help getting medication? Do you need help getting food? And then we turned our office into a food pantry. March 17th was actually our first day giving out food. And we started with, I think it was maybe 250 meals that day. We went from middle of March to middle of September, 250,000 meals and boxes of food. But it was also the businesses that were left unattended by our city and our state. There was money that was being put out by the city, but there was zero outreach being done. And in an immigrant community, if you don't come to them, if you don't bring them the information, these aren't the folks who are like, oh, let me get on a listserv. Let me go search for this help. You're talking about members of our community who have saved up whatever little bit of money they have to put up their first bodega, their first clothing store. And I ask for something as simple as, hey, do you have a flyer with all the information that we can use to let our businesses know what help is out there, they had nothing. 
I actually had to make my own flyer. I wonder if some of the the low rates of application in Queens in places of immigrant communities have to do with the fact that the city did a horrific job at doing outreach. We also worked on helping our neighbors who needed to apply for unemployment. You know, the website was uh, completely crashed at times. The hotline, you couldn't get through it. So we set up a really good system of communication with the Department of Labor, where my team, we helped hundreds of people apply to make sure that people were getting that survival money. And then the saddest part about all of this was the burial help. I don't think any of us are like, oh, I know how to bury a loved one. And then add to that how to pick up someone from a hospital where you have not been allowed to go into. How do I claim the body if it gets moved to the morgue? Add to that, what if I'm undocumented and have no money? And so we actually created a community outreach document and we would put it in the bags of food that we would give out to people. We would send it to our community partners. We put it out on social media and it walked someone step by step And so we really turned into a community resource center, if you will. Mm. Wow. Is there any sort of improvement, do you feel, since last year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think uh, many people are getting back to work. Many people are reopening their businesses, even if it's not the same exact business they had before. Through this state budget that we passed, we were able to secure money for the workers who had been excluded from federal aid. We were able to secure money to help people pay the rent that they owed. I'm talking billions of dollars in rent, and we're going to be able to save their homes. You know, we are also getting money for small businesses. I think there's repercussions we're going to feel uh, for a long period of time because I think there's going to be a segment of our community who will never be able to recover fully everything from having lost a loved one and what that means to your mental health to being able to get back to the same kind of job or a better job to reopening a business. But I think we are in a much better place than we were at this same date last year. That's good. That's that's a relief. And what about vaccination? Is it are people getting vaccinated? What are you seeing in terms of is there resistance? It's kind of hard to gauge resistance when you don't have availability. Mm. I've teamed up actually with two of my colleagues that represent Corona. We reached out to the mayor and the governor because Corona was one of the hardest hit. We're talking close to 500 people dying and close to 10,000 people infected. Yet we had the lowest rate of vaccination in Queens and one of the lowest in the entire city. Back then, there was one gigantic vaccination site nearby, which is the stadium. But good luck trying to get an appointment there that wasn't at two or three o'clock in the morning. And we had two pharmacies in an area that is gigantic. To me, it just seems like negligence. But when we started fighting back, I will give the governor's team credit for their quick action. The mayor took him almost a month to respond, but he eventually did. And we are continuing to work with both their teams to add more folks. Planning stuff with government officials can often be like an overnight surprise. And so I get a call basically on Wednesday that the governor is going to host a pop up. On Friday, I get public material that I can put out. And the event was on Saturday. We put it out Friday. But think about this. By the time Saturday morning came, they had a wait list. 
Yeah. And so when you actually provide access, we have seen a great increase in the number of people vaccinated. You know, there's a lot of misinformation going around, everything from, you know, the vaccine's a hoax to COVID's a hoax. But I think the majority of well-minded people, to put it nicely, understand that this is a life-saving measure and that we have to do it and they will go out and do it. Well, that is good news. So tell me about the legislative session, because it's been a very productive session, right? Some of my colleagues who've been around for much longer have said a number of times that this is one of the best, if not the best budget they've ever been a part of. I think it's an extremely well thought out, purposeful investment in community survival, allocating money for rent in a way that really truly addresses who needs it, really taking an in-depth investment in our small businesses, doing what I would call God's work by helping undocumented New Yorkers, because these are the folks who are paying over $1 billion every year into our economy, who have purchasing power, real purchasing power, and frankly, whose kids are U.S. citizens and are going to be voting one day. And we got to really think about what that means for us, not just as legislators, but what kind of New York do we really want to build? Is it the kind of New York that excludes people and wants to act like we're progressive, but we're really not? Or are we really going to do what we need to do for the people who've done it for us? Because these were all the folks that while many people had the ability to stay at home to make sure that they were staying healthy, they were the ones delivering the food, picking the food. And now what? We're going to turn our backs on them. And so not just seeing our state legislature, but seeing our speaker in the assembly, and Andrew Stewart Cousins over in the Senate fight for this in the way that they did, fully well knowing that these are individuals who don't have the power to vote for them. Simply because this is the right thing to do, I'm in awe of them. And the fact that after so long, we're finally putting the money into our education system that the law literally has told us we had to put in is a huge win. I myself had my own win with $50 million for Nourish New York, which is going to help all these food pantries around our state who have kept our communities alive. Something so simple, but such a great victory. And how do you think what's going on with the governor affected the legislative session? It seems like he was more willing to make deals. Do you think that's true? I don't know if it's that or the fact that we had an influx of federal money and we raised taxes in a way that's going to allow us to have more money with which to make deals. For me, the fact that we went almost a week over our due date for the budget, it should tell you a little something about our ability or or lack thereof to do things because we were more occupied addressing those allegations. Remember earlier when we spoke about the lack of vaccinations and Corona? Mm -hmm. I had spent weeks begging for pop-up sites. Weeks. And nobody was listening. And no one's listening because this is what we're worried about. Yeah. There was a really good article about the atmosphere for women in Albany. And you were in that. Tell me about what what you said and about that atmosphere. The conversation with David, who wrote that article, was about my time as a staffer and, and, and a lot of what I saw then. I worked on and off in Albany for 10 years. So one of the things that I often did was try to wear colors that wouldn't attract attention. 
that I'm an attractive woman. And I didn't want anyone looking at me for my physical appearance rather than the content of what I had to say. And so I was often very careful with the kind of clothing I was wearing because of the sexist surroundings that I found myself in. And frankly, I should have never had to do that. If I wanted to wear whatever color dress, whatever color lipstick, however I wanted to do my hair, that is my prerogative. And someone's inability to listen to what I have to say It's not my fault, it's theirs. Mm. And do you feel like this is another thing that people were saying is it's finally coming out because there are so many younger progressive women now in Albany? Do you feel that change? I think it's a little bit of that um, because there were progressive women before. But I also think many of us have found a certain level of comfort with the conversation because I wasn't comfortable having a conversation about that three, four years ago. I wasn't comfortable having a conversation about that six months ago. And so, you know, I think many of us have come to a point in our careers and our own personal lives where we've embraced who we are, how we look and what we have to say. But at the same time, I think the progression of the political climate has allowed us to actually do that because we could very well be in a continued sexist Albany where a lot of the things that happen still stay behind closed doors. Right. So one thing we were curious about is, have you seen any change locally, any difference since Trump's defeat and and Biden's win? Is there any impact that you feel like you're seeing on the on the local or state level? I don't think that programs like excluded workers would have passed because we would have never had the money to do it. In my district is the community with the highest number of excluded workers because I represent the highest number of undocumented individuals. But I think people knew when we heard that the federal money was coming that that there was a big possibility that other additional help at the local level, at the state level would come. It's a trickle down effect. Those are items that we would have never seen had Biden not been president. And so I'm seeing hope. I'm seeing hope that we weren't seeing before because people actually don't fear coming forward to go to the hospital, to go get uh, a test, to get a vaccine, to get help. Mm -hmm. That is good to hear. Do you have anything else you want to say that I haven't brought up? You know, for the folks who are going to be listening, I want them to understand that recovery is going to be something that's going to take us at the very least five years full recovery. But in the meantime, there are so many things that we can do to make New York as strong as possible. The absolute number one thing is you got to go out and you got to get yourself vaccinated. Then you got to go out and safely visit your local small businesses. They need us. Everything from your local supermarket to your local bodega to clothing stores to your restaurants, go out and reinvest in our community. And don't forget that feeling that you had of gratitude at the ability to help someone else. Don't lose that thread of of humanity that bonded us all together during the height of the pandemic. Let's not become that individualistic community again, where you basically just nod at the person who lives on your same floor once a month when you see them. Continue to be the kind of neighbor that checks in on each other, talks to each other, checking on your seniors. That's the true fiber of New York. Let's not lose that. 